Hello and welcome to Don't Pee on Your Leg and Other Scientific Misconceptions, where every week we discuss some scientific misconceptions with the hope that you learn something you didn't already know about the world. I'm here with my co-host Camden. The, huh? N- oh, Hans Burton. And joining me is my co-host Margaret Hanslick Burton. Welcome, Welcome to, to the, the show. show. Our first segment every week is where we share something we are excited about. Um, Margaret, would you like to go first? <laughs> sure. Um, I, I'm going to do one longer thing I'm excited about and one real quick thing I'm excited about. The longer thing I'm excited about, and I think everyone should be excited about, is urban wildlife. People don't notice the wildlife around them because they're used to it. And I've just really been enjoying watching like crows and just around here we get a lot of gulls and ducks and they're really fascinating. They're animals too, even though we see them a lot and they have some pretty interesting behaviors. Well, no, but you know what I mean? Like people, (laughs) people just kind of take them for granted and, and you know, like, oh, there's another crow, like, oh, there's a little chickadee, you know, but they do some really interesting things, and it's it's well worth your time to just kind of sit and watch them. Squirrels, too. Again, big advocate for squirrels. Look at what they're doing. What is that squirrel up to? Who knows? Maybe you, if you observe them enough. So you're suggesting just going out in your backyard yeah. and watching your normal animals? Yeah. I like that. Yeah. Um, my little one that I'm excited about is that just it just happened to me, which is um, a cover of Destiny's Child's Say My Name by... The artist that I pronounce as Hosier. I think other people pronounce him Hosier. Uh, if you have not heard that cover, it is great. I just heard it maybe five minutes ago. It's so good. It's so good. Mm. Heard it just in the preparation stages of this podcast. Yeah, and I'm very into it. So very into this, it. The energy in this podcast today will be brought to you by that. By Hosier. Say my name. Kevin, what are you excited about? Well, we haven't had a rabbit hole in a while. Oh, boy. And so Rabbits, another local species to just observe sometimes. So true. Have you seen one? They're there. So rabbits are not what this is about, <laughs> but it is uh, a rabbit hole. Um, so this week, one thing I was excited, well, I wasn't excited about, I'm not going to lie, I'm breaking the rules a little bit, but yeah. I did have my teeth cleaned Ooh. Um, this past week. Only one cavity. Okay. Well, now everyone knows. (laughs) I do have a cavity. Um, The dentist said it was a little one, and I was very brave. Um, (laughs) At the very end, I had a fluoride rinse where they give you this, like, paste in, like, this, I don't know, your teeth just sink into this tray and Mm -hmm. just sit there for a minute. Um, And while I was sitting there, it made me think about fluoride and how great it is. So you're excited about Um, fluoride, but not the dentist. I'm excited about fluoride. And then... Why is fluoride so great, Camden? Well, what's great about it is that it has no proven link to cancer. Wow. It doesn't harm infants. Oh, my goodness. And much like vaccines, people are really worried about insanely rare scenarios. Uh, Recently, I've seen a lot of people talking about dental fluorosis. 
which is basically getting too much fluoride in your teeth. It mm. could lead to like some spotting of your teeth. Mm. Um, but I also would maybe argue that tooth decay is potentially a more dangerous thing to get. I would say it um, is definitely more dangerous and worse. I would agree worse. with you. And mm-hmm. more painful and could just do a lot longer term damage to you. Um, I found that the Cochrane Database of Systematic Reviews Journal found a 25 to 35% reduction in cavities in populations around the world with fluorinated water. And that's not nothing. That's not nothing. And then I found three fun facts about fluoridation. Okay. Um, much of Central Europe's water has such a high natural fluoride level that they don't fluorinate their water. Really? That's the good part about Europe. The bad part is that 97% of Europe does not fluoridate their water. And if you read their health department's takes on fluorination, it's a little concerning. Like, they don't think it's a good idea. Yeah, like Belgium's like, we don't tox, we don't, like, we don't poison our uh, populations, like well, our know, citizens. You know what they really said? What? We don't, we don't give our citizens fluoride. And for those who can't figure out what Margaret's <laughs> doing, she was using only her gums uh-huh. to say that. We don't think fluoride is a good idea. Um, we only eat spoop. <laughs> without looking at the notes in front of you. Okay. Uh, I want to take a shot at which countries have the most artificial fluorination. I hope the U.S. U.S. is one. I don't know why you would know these others, but just take wild uh, chances. Wales. No, Europe is not on there. Oh. There's actually only one European country that where a majority of it is artificially fluorinated. And you've been there. Ireland. Ireland. Hey. You've been to the, another one of these. You've been to two more of these countries. Malaysia. Malaysia is oh, another. Really? You've been to one more. France. Canada. Oh. Not Europe. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> uh, the others were hey, Australia, Canada. Brazil, and Chile. Okay. Oh, and Vietnam. Okay. So there you go. I've been to um, Vietnam, too. The three largest cities in the United States that don't fluorinate their water? Portland. Portland's one. Oh, Portland. Yeah, oh, they Portland. They think it's weird. It's just bad. Portland. Um, Honolulu. Hmm. And back in our neck of the woods, Wichita, Kansas. And this Which is, is Cor- Kevin learned recently, the, the largest, largest city, city in, in Kansas. Kansas. Yeah, I did think it was second, but it was first. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is all what? according to Reuters. So if wait, you live Wichita in- makes the list of the major I would of the major cities in the United States that don't. I think it's large by like most, like so little of it is unfluorinated. Like oh their city, God. the municipal water is not fluorinated, and that reaches the most people. So. It's according to Reuters. So Honolulu, if you're out there and you just changed, like San Diego was on this list, but San Diego, as of a couple years ago, did start fluorinating their water. Whew. So Portland, Honolulu, Wichita, get it together. Yeah. Get it together. So let's head into the main segment of the show, the misconceptions. Every week we'll bring a new scientific misconception to share, explain, and discuss. As a note, each of us have not talked about what our misconception is with each other. We usually just give each other a one-word hint to make sure we're not doing the same misconception. Um, And this is just to make sure that this feels like a discussion, since it is a discussion, and so that the other person who isn't presenting theirs can learn along with you, the listener. So let's flip a coin to see who goes first. And as always, it's never a coin. So instead... 
Camden has handed me this remote for our um, for our uh, candles that we just got, which sounds a weird sentence, but it's one of those like remote controlled candles that are supposed to last a long time, and you don't have to light all of them individually. So, Camden, do you want to be heads, which is like the button side, or tails, which is like the non-button side? Mm, I'm feeling very buttony today. Okay. Does this actually work? Oh, hey, there they go. Okay. Great radio. <laughs> All right. Um, so you're the button side? Buttons. So this, this means you get to decide if you go oh first. Oh, my gosh. Just flip okay, it. ready? Buttons. Buttons. <laughs> Here we go. Hot tamale. Margaret, uh-huh. how long can you leave a dropped potato chip on the ground before it's not safe to eat anymore? Is there someone in the house with me or not? Uh, I'm staring at you as you do it. Five seconds. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yay. Yay. Yeah, all right, my turn. Cool. <laughs> um, so let's think about that. The five-second rule, the famous, the infamous, the five-second rule. According to Oxford Dictionary, the first printing of any blank second rule showed up in 1995. Ooh. I would have thought it went way further back as far yeah. as like a printed thing. I, I would have pegged it at like the 80s. Mm, yeah, such an 80s phrase. Such an 80s misconception. Um, it was in the novel Wanted, Rowing Coach. Didn't even bother to read more about it. Sorry, no, wait, like, Wanted colon Lynn Rowing Rowling, Coach? Rowing Coach. Okay, go ahead. Mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs> Where they reference the 20-second rule in reference to eating. 20? So, yeah. Um, but this, like, blank second rule has been around for a while, or at least this idea of, like, there's probably a too a long limit. that this mm-hmm. can be on the ground kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, in the book, Did You Just Eat That? Or Did You Just Eat That? I don't know how it's supposed to be pronounced. Did you just eat that? Did you just eat that? <laughs> okay. I think we um, explored all the options. Food scientist Paul Dawson and microbiologist Brian Sheldon trace the origins as far back as Genghis Khan in the 1100s, late 1100s, 12th century. As far as having a rule for how long you can wait for to pick up things? Where he was so well revered that it was known as Genghis's rule, mm-hmm. that as long as he said it was fine, it was okay to eat. Now, I don't remember Genghis Khan being a doctor. Well, or a he did scientist. rule like, much of the known world, so that you tell me. That doesn't mean you. Okay. All right. Interesting. Um, so that, that was their claim of how far it went back. But this idea of how safe is it to eat something um, sort of brings us to this idea of how did we ever learn why some foods make us feel gross and sick? Mm-hmm. Uh, that takes us from the 1100s all the way up to the mid-1800s in sort of the revolution of germ theory. Mm. Um, two people we're going to talk about. One, Louis Pasteur. You may have heard of them. I have. Um was commissioned to study wine fermentation in 1854 and created what was known as a swan-necked flask. So if you just imagine a swan, but glass. Okay. Um, using a that... A swan-necked flask. Okay. A flask. Okay. Mm-hmm. You basically, you boil whatever the thing is, like wine or milk or whatever. You boil wine? Yeah. So you boil it. Okay. What you did was boil it. And then that allowed the wine to like um, condense back oh, down into okay. the flask, 
And now you have this boiled wine that has not touched any, has not been contaminated by any outside air. Okay. And then you could see, will it still ferment? Okay. It was like the structure of it was so that you could actually boil away some of it without having it be contaminated like an open air system. Gotcha. Boiling wine, turned out, would not ferment after you boiled it. Same with milk. After he boiled milk, it would no longer ferment, which led him to this idea that there must be something in the wine or in the milk that was allowing these liquids to ferment. Because mm. remember, this is germ theory. We did not, this was like, they did not have an understanding of why these things were fermenting or why milk would go bad. Okay. You have to sort of put on this idea of like, you're giving me this look right now of like, yeah, duh. No, no, no. I was just thinking about, honestly, I was thinking about how nice it would be to have a swan-shaped flask. Sounds beautiful. Yeah. No, this is, this is a scientific flask. Sure. Not it's not like you... it doesn't have a head and wings. I know. Yeah. But I... Well, cool. I was also saying this is not like a hip flask. This is not oh, like... sure, sure, sure. Yeah. So, sure. um, this is how he came up with the process, as you may guess, pasteurization. Oh, okay. Where heating something to a certain liquid would, or a certain temperature would mean that that was safe from being, like, contaminated or potentially could, like, ferment or keep things lasting longer. Uh, the next person came right after, thanks to the advent of pasteurization, uh, the German Robert Koch proved that diseases could be passed on from animals that had been infected to animals that weren't infected. Okay. And so we had, you wow. know, of course. What year was this around? Uh, so 1854 was when pasteurization. So 1860s. So, sorry, 1860s are when we first were like, hey, that animal is sick. And that animal who shares a barn with it is now sick too. Huh. Yeah. So there is this idea of like, we knew, you know observational studies had been done mm -hmm. this idea of like what was really causing them to get sick mm -hmm. and this idea of like bad air had really been like prevalent throughout the scientific right. community for a long time yeah i mean that's why bad, like better used to be what we called carbon dioxide well and people had this people from what i understand listen to the podcast sawbones great podcast a lot of people would try to like address this in different ways that were ineffective like for the plague they were like it's bad air if i hold flowers in front of my nose i will be fine yeah yeah uh, that kind of thing um so what he did find was cows who had died from anthrax he would take a syringe get some of their blood inject that into mice mm. those mice would die from anthrax sure take blood samples from cows that were not infected with anthrax put them in mice, they did not die from anthrax. And so in just proving this and doing, of course, meticulous like research behind it and like or data collection was able to show that this is how diseases can be passed on. And he was most famous for even creating these postulates or these like rules of what causes something to be infectious. Mm -hmm. um, what are the traits of things being infectious, which later was how we identified the bacteria that caused tuberculosis because it was unclear of exactly how that was being passed on to people. Mm. Um, and so that really helped eradicate tuberculosis, which, as we know, was a huge killer of people in the 1800s yeah. and led to Robert Koch getting a Nobel Prize in 1905. That's a pretty big deal. So this germ theory, we know germs get on our food. They're bad. Mm-hmm. 
how long before they're giving us like these diseases? Of course, we're not talking anthrax showing up on our food, no. but other sorts of bacteria that might harm us. Um, a 2016 study by Robin Miranda at Rutgers um, had them dropping four types of food. Watermelon. I remember this. Bread. It had to do with like the stickiness of the food, I think. Bread and butter Ugh. and gummy candy Ugh. onto stainless steel, mm-hmm. tile, wood, and carpet. Oh, carpet. And then the time <laughs> periods were one second on the material, five seconds, 30 seconds, and five minutes. Mm-hmm. Would you like to go ahead and guess which food source transferred the most to the least bacteria to it? So sorry, there's watermelon, bread, bread and butter. Oh, watermelon, bread and butter, bread, bread and gummies. And gummies. I'm gonna go with the butter, thinking that it's like fallen butter side down. Mm-hmm. Um, the butter. The buttered bread was like the most, most bacteria. Had the most bacteria on it. Okay. Then the gummies. Okay. Oh, the watermelons in there though. No, bread and butter, then watermelon, then gummies, then the very dry thing. Just bread. And your reason for this being watermelon like the the more liquidy the food mm-hmm. is, seems like it would be a better entrapment for bacteria. <laughs> Yeah, I, you know, honestly, your, like, reason for this is, like, pretty dead on. Thank you. Um, in water, liquidy, mm-hmm. uh, water is, like, the, like, kind of the quickest way for bacteria to transfer from their environment mm-hmm. um, to a new environment. Um, so water is kind of the right idea. Watermelon had by far the number, was the number one as far as, like, bacteria kept showed up on it the fastest. Okay, so that's one point. Um, then bread and butter. Did I get that right too? Mm-hmm. Then bread. What? And then gummy bears. What? Um, and they said, while they couldn't quite figure out why, Yeah. Um, we have to consider that gummy bears, while sticky, aren't like sticky, sticky, right? They're not like yeah. a hard candy. They are, They're, I would just deter, I would, not to get all sciencey on you, I would say squishy. Squishy. They have a they, squishy They have quality. a squish to them, a squishness. And a physics uh, professor that also at Rutgers suggested that potentially there's some like static interactions that when you're talking as small as bacteria might interfere with their ability to like hop on. Mm. Um, clean a surface between stainless steel, tile, wood, and carpet. Stainless steel. Stainless steel was the worst. What? Right? It's stainless. <laughs> it's stainless. You can't stain it with bacteria. Uh, uh, then I'm going to go with like wood. No. Tile. Nope. Carpet. Carpet. No, gross. No. Now, I think most people, when they think of dropping something on carpet, are grossed out because of like fibers or yeah, hair don't say, or uh, something. It just, you can't see it. It's all, but, it's like a little. Yeah. Camouflage forest. But from a bacteria standpoint, carpet was by far the best thing to drop it on. Can you guess why? Um, because, oh God, this is going to sound so dumb. <laughs> because there's, there's lots of places the bacteria can be, not just at the top of uh-huh. the carpet. Yeah, you got it. Okay. It's like a little mountain down there <laughs> if you zip your body all the way down into that size. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. And... Through that same logic, stainless steel, all the bacteria, it's a flat 
flat, flat, flat surface. There's no real crevices for it to be. Mm. Um, which surprised me too, because stainless steel is like, that's like a kitchen. Yeah. And I don't think people are going to start replacing their laminate countertops with carpet countertops. Oh God. Well, you, it's not like you drop things on a stainless steel fridge and then eat them. That's hard to do. Yeah. That'd be crazy. Anyway. Um, <laughs> and then time differences, as you could guess, was just the longer it was on the thing, mm-hmm. the worse it was. Because all the bacteria tell their friends and then yeah, they're like, yeah, like a, it's like a party and it's yeah. like, it became like an Aaron's party situation where it's uh-huh. like too many people show up. Yeah. Some of them um, uninvited. Yeah. And his parents got home. Yeah. Anyway, great um, song too. I hope Jose covers that one soon. <laughs> <laughs> the biggest spike in differences I thought was going to be between five seconds and 30 seconds. Mm-hmm. Um, it was actually in one and five seconds. So while the five-second rule is technically appropriate in the sense that it's better than 10 seconds, Mm -hmm. truly, in looking at their data, one second was about the mark before it really hopped up a lot. So So really, if it drops, grab it. Like, immediately. Yeah. This, like, counting thing, just get it. But there is no point at which... Like, bacteria start to get on there, like, mm-hmm. real soon. And, but what's interesting is it was really not the time. It was really the material. Mm-hmm. So back to my initial prompt. If I drop a potato chip, probably okay. Probably okay as long it's as not, it's on shag carpet. Yep. Drop your pretty dry potato chips on shag carpet. You're probably good to go. You drop your watermelon on your Just nice, clean stainless steel counter. Let it... Let it that go. baby's gone. <laughs> um, and then, should we be scared? Eh. Yes. Oh. Nah, no. <laughs> I mean, use best judgment. If it's wet, liquidy, maybe don't do that. Um, and I like to just share in this moment one of my favorite statistics, which is there are more cells that aren't you in your person than cells that are you. Wow. That's a pretty existential... There's more bacteria in and on your body than there are your own human cells. So are we bacteria or are we... Man. Human. Are we human or are we dancer, Camden? Mm. I'll leave you with that. (laughs) Margaret, what did you bring for us today? Well, speaking of hair... Hair... Yikes. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) I told Camden that hair was my prompt and... He just a little insight into him. He hates hair, like he hates it. He will do. This I will us do. Back to episode was it two, three with Laura? What? Where I kept, I brought the misconception of blood, and I oh, forgot that yeah. she has a thing against blood. Yeah. Well, she has a thing about hand blood. Yeah, right. she doesn't like thinking about it. She can't think about it. So you're bringing one of hair. Yeah, oh. you haven't ever passed out yet oh. talking about hair. Anyway, that's the reason that Camden will do any other chore except the bathroom because he hates, he just hates it. Sorry, 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 sorry. So here's my misconception. Camden, what happens when you shave your hair? Oh, yeah, it grows back uh, faster and thicker. Sure, that's one version of it. Yes, the misconception is that when you shave uh, wherever you do on your body, your hair grows back thicker, coarser, darker, faster. Longer. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, uh, yes, that is the misconception. Who were those guys? <laughs> uh, but guess what? What? Wrong. What? On this Wrong. show? I know. What? Wrong. Oh. It's not true. 
It's Come not on. true. It's not Throw true. A bone. I know. I know this isn't probably something that you think about a lot because you are a person who does not shave at all because you have a beard and you do not shave your legs. So we really the, you're really throwing me under I don't know a bus, but people are learning about cavities, my <laughs> fear of hair, well, telling people about my personal hygiene habits. Well no, it's not hygiene. You just have a beard, so you don't really shave at all. You like trim your beard, but you're not getting down to the skin mm. at any point. Anyway. So no. Hair does not grow back thicker, coarser, darker, whatever, when it's shaved. Um, as a person who shaves my legs on a fairly regular basis, unless it's wintertime, um, I can say that that is true. But let's get into it. So here's the general thing about this misconception is that Humans are bad at observing things. <laughs> Boy, could you just repeat that <laughs> for about every misconception. Humans are bad at observing and noticing things. So according to the Scientific American, which I got a lot of this from, um, that's one of the reasons this persists is we can't really tell the difference. Like when I shave my legs, I can't really tell if it's growing back thicker or darker because I'm not good at noticing that. Um, yeah, you'd have to be like measuring. Yeah. Which, oh, we'll get into that. So one of the main reasons that this myth persists, according to Lawrence, Dr. Lawrence E. Gibson from WebMD, don't know if you've heard of it. Um, Lawrence says that shaving facial or body hair gives the hair a blunt tip. So basically a hair that's been around for a while has kind of a tapered end, like a pencil, like and a worn log in the ocean. Kind of, although it's terrifying. But they don't form points. That would be horrifying going down a river and there's just like spiky logs. You haven't seen Deliverance. I haven't. I've read it. I don't think they... Anyway. Um, so that's how it is normally, just from where it gets worn down. So it's kind of like a tapered end, like a pencil. Um, so then when you shave it, you're kind of exposing the thicker base of the hair so that's why it can feel possibly coarser or kind of stubbly for a while but it's not thicker it's just that you've exposed that that thicker base to it your face looks confused oh i see it okay does that make sense yeah well i was also just thinking like realistically when you like shave it's just like stubblier yeah no that's very true again humans are bad at noticing things um, let's read about some background on hair and what better source than straight from kidshealth.org. Oh boy. We <laughs> so, really, WebMD to kidshealth.org. <clears throat> Next up is sciencefacts.web. No, no. <laughs> I avoided most of those, but I really like their description of like hair and how it grows and everything like that. So I'm just going to read straight from kidshealth.org. So the title of this is hair comes from where? <laughs> I'm, I hope that, I'm sure they hoped you read it like that. Um, it says, whether hair is growing out of your head, arm, or ankle, <laughs> specific, it, it all rises out of the skin in the same way. It starts at the hair root, a place beneath the skin where cells band together to form keratin, the protein that hair is made of. The root inside is a follicle which is like a small tube of the skin, in the skin, sorry, in the skin. 
So as hair begins to grow, it pushes up from the root and out of the follicle through the skin where it can be seen. Tiny blood vessels at the base of every follicle feed the hair root to keep it growing. But once the hair is at the skin's surface, the cells within the strand of hair aren't alive anymore. The hair you see on every part of your body contains dead cells. That's why it doesn't cause pain when someone cuts your hair with scissors. So a good kind of background Mm, about how hair grows, no matter where it is on your body. So, um, let me talk about some studies here. So you mentioned you'd have to measure it. Well, that's exactly what some people did. There was a study in 1928. People have been thinking well, about this for a long time. Yikes. Why yikes? Well, yeah, I don't know. It's a long time hardest. ago. Yeah, but all you need to do is trying measure Trying their it. hardest. <laughs> well, they didn't have like all, all those dumb 20 <laughs> no, scientists just out mean... there. Just counting hairs and inventing <laughs> nuclear bombs. Okay. Um, in 1928, there was a study with a large sample size of four men um, who all shaved the same way. This got published? Yes. Yes. J- yeah. Four? Well, just wait. Don't don't poo-poo them because there's another study in a second which also has, has like one hamster. Very, no, very few people in it. Um, so in 1928, all four men all shaved the same way. They had the same razors. The water was the same temperature. Everything was the same like you'd want in a study. Okay. And they would shave several times over the course of a certain time period. And after they had shaved several times, each time they would take the hairs that were shaved, they would measure it. And they found surprise, surprise. There was no evidence that there was a difference in the growth of the beard hair before and after shaving. Mm. No difference in the way it grew, no difference in the width of it, anything like that. Another study also with a small sample size, I don't know how many people, but it was, it was also very small. It was not in double digits. Um, Around 1970, involved men shaving one leg and not the other for months. And scientists discovered that the hair on the shaved leg was not growing back faster, coarser, or thicker. Interesting note, I don't know why they did not look at women for this. I, I mean, there may be studies involving women, but these two that were mentioned, I believe, by Scientific American, neither of them involve women. And women shave a lot like society tells us that we need to be hairless so i don't know why they specifically targeted men i don't know are you saying that science might have not considered women in their studies without thinking about the consequences it would be the first time that that would happen but yes i mean back in the 70s women were like what five percent of the population (laughs) oh my god yes good point um i found this to be an interesting note so the misconception says Different versions say, like, the hair grows back thicker when you shave it. grows back coarser when you shave it. But I wondered, what is the difference between thick hair and coarse hair? And according to, <laughs> you're going to love this, longhaircareforum.com. I did just, <laughs> just scrap. I'm just going to bleep your entire segment. Um, Why did I even try? Thick hair refers to the density of the hair, so how close the follicles are all together. And coarse hair is more about the texture of the hair. The friction, the, the, fric, the coefficient of friction I don't, of the hair. I don't. How far could someone slide no. down a stainless steel <laughs> ramp no. as, standing on their head? No, no. A study by two okay. chinchillas. <laughs> okay. Uh, 
Um, there aren't a lot of sources about this stuff. Um, Clearly, we are at whatishair.com. Longhaircareforum.com. Um, so anyway, thick hair is density. Coarse hair is like the texture. So if the myth is that the hair grows back thicker, a.k.a. like the follicles are more densely together after shaving, then you'd have to develop more hair follicles. Oh, uh, yeah, that makes like, sense. Like that doesn't make sense. That, yeah. No, that wouldn't make sense. You don't, you don't have more hairs popping up. Mm that you hadn't had before. And then this was my favorite point that I found actually about the, when you think about it, like the silliness of this misconception is from, um, Melanie Grossman, who's a NYC dermatologist. Oh, we're quoting. I know actual professionals. Weird. Um, according to her, like if the, if the hair, every time you shave grows back thicker and darker, where does it end? So for example, I've probably shaved my legs like, Hundreds of times in my lifetime already. There's a fierce jet black. <laughs> no, it's not. And after a while, if it's growing back thicker and thicker each time, is each hair follicle like Just the th- the thickness of a young sapling after you, a while? Do you find yourself breaking a lot of your razors <laughs> when shaving your legs? Yeah, oh. yeah. But really, like, it doesn't make sense. It, in her words, I think she said something like, everyone would look like a gorilla after a while. Cause there's, where does it end? Like, where does it end? Um, Madness. and then the other thing she said is that that would be an easy fix for balding is if you thought you were just balding, you just sh- keep shaving that head. Cause your hair is going to grow back thicker and, and coarser. So, if you're so balding, keep going, just shave, keep shaving, shaving, yeah, shaving, 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 shave. So there's a lot to still be learned about hair growth. I spent a little bit of time looking at another misconception about hair that it grows back or it grows, it grows more in the summer, but I couldn't find anything definitive. So if you all are listeners, oh wait, that's the one I've always heard. I know, but but I've heard, but some people say like, yep, that's true. Like it grows up to ten percent faster, which is still not significant. But do we have a citizen science project on our hands? Maybe my hair does just never grows in we general. We need to invoke the leg peers. We need a name for our audience. Not that. Okay. <laughs> Not that. Anyway, if you have found a study about hair growth in the summer versus the winter, please let me know. I would love to see that because I have not found anything definitive about that. There's still a lot to learn about hair growth because everyone's different. Everybody's hair grows differently at different rates. So it's hard to study. It's hard to study. But when you shave or when you wax, according to BBC2, um, they did... They, they were highlighting a doctor talking about that. doesn't matter if you're waxing or you're shaving. Your hair is not going to grow it, back just faster not, it doesn't and matter. thicker. Just, yep. 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 Now I'll leave you with this one fact, Cameron, that I think you know. What animal, which does not shave, has the thickest fur in the world? Oh, yeah. It is an otter. Uh-huh. What kind of otter? Sea otter. A sea otter. They have between half a million and a million hairs per square inch. And why they have that? Because that water is cold. Cold. Thanks, Margaret. Yeah. So each episode at the end, we share something that we're reading, watching, interested in, or otherwise consuming. Um, Margaret, since I went first in this conception, you can share your consumption materials. So this one 
is something that I have just started today. We've been listening because we've been on a road trip. We have been listening to a lot of what we mentioned last time, which is called My Dad Wrote a Porno, but we've already talked about that. So I started a new podcast series today. Uh, I'm just looking it up now. It is called, if I can find it, it's called, I believe, oh, yes, The Killing of Marilyn Monroe. Drum roll. That was a drum roll. Oh, thanks. The Killing of Marilyn Monroe. Um, it's by Endeavor Audio. Is this a true crime? Something. Of course it is. It's me. Um, and at first when I, you know, I think about Marilyn Monroe, it's kind of like, you know, it's not, she's, she's really, she's a great actress. I love Some Like It Hot. Great movie. Have you seen that movie? Some Like It Hot? Yes. You've yeah. seen it. You've seen it. Anyway. Is that the one on the ship? Uh, they're on a ship for part of it. Sure. They're mostly, anyway. So she's wonderful. But I had always, like, I felt like I kind of knew the basics of her life and demise. But this podcast really goes in depth. It even interviews some people who knew her, um, has a lot of historians, and into it goes into, like, the theories of who killed her, if she was killed, why she died, etc. So it's really well-researched and very good so far. So The Killing of Marilyn Monroe. Well, because <laughs> we've reached six years, what is it, in six years and four months and two days, I finally of succumbed of, of our of marriage. Yeah. I'm sharing about the TV show Mindhunter. Woo! I didn't even make him, for you, the record. I did not make yeah, him. Yeah, she's finally broken through. <laughs> um Mindhunter, if you've not watched it, is on Netflix. It's a true, based on the true crime book of the same name. Uh, it goes inside the FBI's behavioral science unit mm-hmm. um, and their real life study of how they initially defined serial killers mm-hmm. um, or sequence killers. Or sequence killers. Um, so it's very interesting just because it's based off real people, which is both terrifying and interesting. Mm -hmm. Um, We watched some pretty interesting YouTube videos where the uh, actor who played a certain serial killer, actors, Mm -hmm. multiple actors, um, who played serial killers were put next to the real person and they are like identical and that's terrifying. Terrifyingly good job. Uh, They did a great job. It's very interesting uh, TV show uh, starring Jonathan Groff, who I once saw when I was in high school. In uh, Spring, Spring Awakening, the musical. So it's a very different vibe he's got going <laughs> he now. He hasn't sung once. Give it time. Once. Give it time. His voice is like it's great. He has a great up, voice. stirring up honey with like yogurt. It's like, mm, so smooth. So smooth. He should cover a song with Hosier. That's Full where circle. my mind is. Sorry. Um, we also probably want to give a shout out to Brooke, who was on our podcast recently yep. for introducing us. Well, for making us actually watch Mindhunter. It's been on my Netflix list for a while. So yep. thanks, Brooke. Thanks, Brooke. Also, please come over and sometime soon and help us finish the series. <laughs> We're just announcing yeah. messages come to on people o- now. Come on over, Brooke. Okay. Hey, oh. Mom. Uh, we'll be back in October, so <laughs> pick up some groceries. Yep. Well, thank you so much for listening today. You can hear more content like this from our sister wife podcast, From U to O, hosted by me. Our theme music for this podcast is composed by Camillo. Don't Pee on Your Leg and Other Scientific Misconceptions is a podcast produced by Two Birds, One Scone.
Articles, blog posts, and more about what you can do every day to conserve our environment can be found at www.twobirdsonescone.org. And I'd like to give a little plug to Two Bird, One Scone's um, weekly posts about Meatless Mondays. Yeah. Um, they had a great one that I'm very excited to try out. That, oh, man. Uh, another guest on our show, Mia, um, tried out just this week. It was the sticky fingers, mm-hmm. ways to coat things to make them. Um, it's like sweet and sour to- baked tofu. Yep. Um, I'm super excited about it, mm. and that's a weekly occurrence on the blog, so you should go check that out, Meatless Mondays at mm-hmm. Two Birds, One Scone. Mm-hmm. Also, really, though, if you have not followed us on Insta- followed Two Birds, One Scone on Instagram, please do. Yep. Plug I try to, try to put up content on a fairly regular basis. We set up an email account, too, so if you have scientific misconceptions that you'd like explained or you want to provide feedback to us, or if you find an article that says something about definitive proof that hair doesn't grow in the summer or does, um, please email us at don'tpeeonyourleg at gmail.com. Have, Have a, a great, great week. week. <laughs> Space Jam? I think. <laughs>